some of you I haven't seen for a while, and I uh, just want to say welcome back if that happens to be you, and if not, then welcome anyway, but great to be together. We're in the middle of a series, and <clears throat> we're actually on the back end of it now. We're seven weeks working through uh, these last seven statements of Jesus in the final hours of his life on the cross, and we come today to the fifth of these statements uh, that Jesus spoke, and so uh, won't try to catch you up, but, uh, but just jump right in. You can kind of picture the scene. These, these, these famous last words, as we're calling them, to this point have, have all been directed outward from Jesus to those around him or above him or beyond him in this scene here at, at, at the cross. Um, he, had, he had prayed to his father initially about forgiveness, Forgive these people, they don't know what they're doing, he had said to his father. Then he had, he had looked and spoke with great warmth, really, to the, the thief hanging next to him on the cross, and to his mother and to his disciples standing before him, and, and, and offered to them words of both, words of comfort, really, describing to them what the future held for them, for each of them in their own uh, unique circumstances and, and situations. And then <clears throat> last week with the fourth word, we, we again heard Jesus crying out to, to the Father. But this time, not just with his own words, but with a particular scripture in mind, quoting scripture as he spoke out to the Father and to all those who were gathered around him. But now in this moment, in this fifth word, Jesus finally speaks for and about himself. And uh, perhaps we've been waiting for this, perhaps we haven't, but, but now he speaks about himself, and, and in these words he's expressing a personal, and at least on the surface, what seems to be or what appears to be a very practical need, a very practical issue that Jesus wants to talk about here. Now, before we read it, uh, I just have to just kind of warn you, or, or kind of prepare you, I guess, that, that, for myself at least, frankly, this fifth word seems like kind of a downer. <laughs> kind of a, actually more of a letdown than, than a downer. Especially after what we heard last week in the fourth word, right? I mean, for those of you who weren't here, it was Jesus crying out, quoting from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I mean, this... This phrase that is so deep and so just theological, you know, and so reflective, so mysterious. Now this fifth word, well, it is, on the surface at least, so, so earthy, so physiological, and so, uh, so normal. In fact, as I thought about it, I was like, well, this is one that any of us could have said, really. In fact, we do say this one, maybe almost every day. It's the most brief of all of Jesus' words from the cross. In fact, one translation, English translation, only gives it two words. Ours gives it three, but, uh, but only two words. So, so I ask you, somewhat hopefully rhetorically, can we hear anything in only two words from our Savior on the cross? And I hope right now you're answering, oh yes, James, we... Would you stand with me? I'm just going to read a couple of verses 
Let's listen and learn together this morning from John 19. John 19, verses 28 and 29. But go ahead and open your Bible if you haven't. I'd really love for you to just be able to uh, kind of refer back to this portion of Scripture and uh, kind of the passage that we're looking at as we, and, and others surrounding it even as we, as we look at it here. So, John 19, verses 20, what is it, 8 and 29. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, I brought a bottle of water up here and just, you know, I just thought I would just not be thirsty today. So, but as a bit of a visual aid remember, reminder about how easy perhaps it is for us to access um, drink, to assuage our thirst. Um, I, I'm, I'm thirsty, Jesus says. Or as the other translation in, in maybe some of your Bibles said, I thirst. And I want to say, at least initially, Jesus, I'm a preacher. I need a little bit more to work with here. I need, a, you know, two words. I mean, is that all you have for us at this point? Is that all that we're going to get uh, as we move forward here? So far in these first four, you have been, oh Jesus, you have been so profound. You have been so spiritual. You have been so, so um, just beyond our comprehension and, and so mysterious. And, and so why so suddenly, so ordinary, so, so physical, so mundane even? And yet... Isn't it, on one very significant and important level, exactly what we would have expected from Jesus to say these words? This one who we know as a variety of titles, but one, the word who became flesh. This one that theologically we proclaim to be fully God and fully man. Would it just be like Jesus to... to, to again, even here on the cross, to mix the earthy with the heavenly. The, the, the fleshy with the, the spiritual. And if we really think about it, aren't these words, even just these brief words, in actuality a very, very critical reminder to all of us? Make sure we hear this initially this morning, a critical reminder to all of us that Jesus did not just appear to die. Jesus did not just seem to struggle. Jesus' suffering and his pain and his thirst were very, very real. Very, very genuine. 
Now, perhaps you've received and or passed on uh, some of those emails, or you've gotten some of these, seen some of these articles that, that go into, into great detail in describing kind of the, the physical trauma of Jesus's beating and his crucifixion that he experienced. Has anybody ever seen some of these? They're often written by historians or scientists. They, they, okay, I'll forward one to you. I'm not usually a forwarder, but many people have forwarded these to me. But, but you know, these very graphic, detailed, I mean, they, they've gone into depth on analyzing every aspect of the beating and of the crucifixion that Jesus endured and, and have broken it down on a scientific plane and, and level here to, to get some uh, understanding, some grasp of, of what he went through in those moments. Now, interestingly, the, the scriptures themselves are usually rather uh, terse, rather just kind of short in their descriptions of, of what happened here on the cross, leaving a lot of it to our imagination, right? But these uh, writings often fill in a lot of those gaps, and um, you know, they like to talk about things like you know, what the whip was made out of, right? You know, that, 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 that tore into the flesh of Jesus and what exactly it did to the skin and to the muscles and to the tendons, you know? I mean, it's just really just graphic. And, it, and then they often like to talk about the nails in his hands and feet and the, the trauma to Jesus's kind of internal organs even, you know, that... That, that he suffered and that he went through, you know, because he hung like this for, for hours. Uh, I mean, really, really graphic and really detailed. Well, I have to tell you this, that I actually may not be able to forward those emails to you because I usually delete them. <laughs> I think I read one, one time, and uh, that was about enough. I am... I am not necessarily, maybe you are, and that's fine. It's not a, not a value or judgment at all, but I am not necessarily fascinated by those particular details that emerge uh, by this kind of calculated study of cr- the cross for Jesus. And personally, as I read these things, I, I can, it can even begin at some levels to feel a little bit excessive and maybe even a little bit ex- exploitative, if that's the way you say that word, just it, maybe exploiting a little bit of what the scriptures are, are, are giving to us. Um, and, and maybe I'm alone in this, but maybe not. Maybe there's others of us. And, and we have to be careful with this if we're not careful, because we've, we, we've, we've heard the story, we've seen it on the screen now, uh, maybe many times, and it just begins, much like maybe the atrocities that we see even on the evening news uh, every night, and maybe we start to grow a little bit hardened to. For many of us, and perhaps even myself included, we've, we've grown a little bit hardened, grown a little bit accustomed to the realities of Jesus' death. Or at least we're in this place where we, we want to kind of avoid the harsher realities. At least, which, um, which just really goes to show, at least here at the outset, how, how much we really do need the fifth word from Jesus on the cross. How much I, I'll start there, how much I need the fifth word of Jesus 
from the cross. Um, in case we would ever become numb to the physicality of Jesus' suffering and death for our salvation, he speaks to us and he says, I thirst. I thirst. But if we'll pay a little bit of attention here, and if we'll put on our thinking caps a little bit, our, our creativity, and if we'll listen a little bit to who Jesus has been and how he has interacted and connected with people in, in his life up to this point, we'll notice that this, this word is a, is a curious word. It's an, it's an interesting word. and it's a, it's a surprising word as we hear it from Jesus for, for, for other reasons. Um, than, than that it's so short and, and brief and physical. Um, in particular because it is an abrupt reversal, really, of how we have heard Jesus speak throughout his ministry. Are, are you following me? He, he says here, I thirst, and yet in his ministry he has often been the one who has said, come to me and drink of living water. We remember... Perhaps you remember the story of Jesus with the woman at the well in John 4. And uh, he'd come to this place. And this was the one time before we had heard Jesus say something like, I thirst, can you ask for a drink uh, from her? But this initiated this whole conversation. And finally he says to her that he promised that whoever drank the water that he gave them would what? Never thirst again, right? And then John 7 uh, Jesus again is speaking and he stands up at this point in, amidst some crowds and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's an interesting sound <laughs> I just made there. Let him come to me and drink. The very fact then that this thirst quencher now says I am thirsty ought to give us some pause and make us stop and think a little bit about what is going on here that may be speaking to us on a little bit of a different level. It may just be pointing to more than Jesus' humanity, as important as that might be. In fact, if we'll listen to him saying, I thirst, we may find ourselves at the very same time being drawn closer and closer to Jesus' divinity and those things about him that make him so unlike us, those things about him that beckon us and call us to become to become more like him. One thing we um, have to deal with right off is this, is this context that Jesus speaks these words into. I, I don't know if you notice them. It's, it would be easy for us just to kind of pluck them out. I am thirsty and not pay any attention to these words around them, but they are so interesting that I couldn't get away with it. I, I wanted to just kind of pluck them out, but I kept reading back and just saying, what, what is this context? And, and you can look back if you have your Bibles open, just... Verse 28, John just writes this, later knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. Well, that just kind of made me go, huh? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what scripture needs to be fulfilled? What? How does saying I'm thirsty fulfill a scripture? What is going on here that, that is helping us to maybe recognize that there's something more than just what we see going on here in this little portion of Scripture. What, 
how might this statement that Jesus is saying, that he says here, fulfill this, this particular scripture? Now, as I read and studied, I found that there is great debate. And, and biblical scholars are still kind of divided as to exactly what scripture they think is being fulfilled here. But I made my choice, and, and, and it seems to fit pretty well because um, some suggest, many suggest that it was again Psalm 22 that Jesus was referring to. And that makes sense to me because just in the fourth word, you know, Jesus has drawn from Psalm 22 and quoting, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, and, and it would just seem that potentially throughout this whole time that maybe, you know, as we do sometimes, Jesus just kind of had the tapes playing. They didn't have tapes in those days, but he just kind of had the, the words, the, the recitation of Psalm 22 just kind of going throughout his thinking and throughout his, his mind. And Psalm 22 was in a sense maybe giving shape and giving formation to, to Jesus' words and to Jesus' behavior and to Jesus' actions here in, uh, in this time. It seems kind of natural um, that this would have happened. But you know, one of the main problems is this, that in Psalm 22, the exact words, I am thirsty, are not there. <laughs> so that, that's a little bit of an issue. However, I just kind of think that there are some other words here that we're going to look at that if I were Jesus in that position and I only had enough strength or energy for a few words, it would have wrapped it up very nicely. Look at this passage, will you, from, from uh, Psalm 22, verses 14 and 15. And as you read it with me, um, see if you don't think that perhaps this might have been what Jesus could have been summing up, in a sense, with his words. Just read it with me, would you? I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Just leave that for a moment. Anybody know how to say that word at the end of the second line? Pot shirred, thank you very much. I, I knew it wasn't pots heard, but um, that's not what I wanted you to notice. <laughs> and my tongue. But I noticed we all, got, we all slowed down when we got to that point, so I just wanted to go ahead and address it. Um, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Does it not, you can, you can keep it up just for a second. Does it not, that's fine, leave it there, leave it there. Go ahead, sorry, Peter. Does it not seem that if it is in fact this scene, and we don't know for sure, but if it is in fact this scene that Jesus has in mind, these words from the psalmist, if it is in fact that Jesus has this scene in his mind and that he's bringing it to fulfillment as he speaks here at the cross, It seems then that what he's trying to communicate to us and what he's trying to say with even these few brief words is much more than just, I'm human, don't forget that. It's that, but it's potentially so much more that that rather he's speaking in this moment about his, now you can put it up, about his total abandonment to the Father in this moment. His total abandonment to the plans and the purposes of God 
for his life. This, uh, this, this last summer when we took our, our trip, and I told you much about this, but we were in Costa Rica and we were at this one place where they had water slides. And, um, you know, I don't know, Laura and Jake could probably give me some more background, but it didn't seem like the safety regulations were quite as tight <laughs> on those, wa- those particular water slides than as those that I've seen in the United States. I may have been off on that, but a lot of concrete, not a lot of, um, you know, safety types of things. No real lifeguards that I recall. Um, That's my job, right? And that's okay. But what I want to say is that you take away some safety regulations, and you know what you get, right? Fun, right? I mean, you get some fun. And uh, (laughs) all the the wild guys in the room say, amen, pasta. Bring it on. Um, you take away that and, and you get some fun. And so what I want to say is that these water slides that we were experiencing were not of the tame variety. They were of the speedy variety. And there was one in particular. There was some that, you know, kind of looped around. You would actually get kind of slowed down as you would loop. But there was one that was just a straight shot. And uh, I did it a couple times, and the kids were kind of getting their nerves up and courage up, and they weren't going to do it, but I just kept whooping and hollering, much like Jeffrey, and just, this is great, you're going to love it, you got to do it. So I'll never forget, and we actually got a picture of this, but the first time Thomas got on it, he, he got up to the top, and he was just scared. I mean, you could just look, just nervous, just shaking, but I got to do this. And he got on it, and he just let himself go. And he hit, at one point, there was like a drop. And somehow, I think Kylie got this perfect picture, but at, right as he hit that drop, there was this look on his face <laughs> of just sheer terror. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't at that point, whoa! It was, oh, what have I done? I mean, he just had this look of sheer terror, and I'll never forget it. It was just, just I mean, I got the snapshot in my brain of that moment. But you know what it was? it was? It was this moment where he, Thomas, had just completely let go. He just let go of it all. Katie remembers a similar feeling, I'm sure. He had just let go and, and totally abandoned to this, this experience. He was no longer in control by any means. He had let go of that control, totally abandoned to this experience and to whatever it might bring him. Thankfully, it didn't bring him any stitches or broken bones. Um, I I think Jesus is describing with this simple statement his his own absolute obedience to the Father. I I think he's describing his his complete commitment at this point, his, his total willingness to let everything else go. To just let it go. I mean, he'd done this all the way. And in the garden, we'd heard him. And yet, remember, remember Peter says, uh, you know, he cuts the ear off. And Jesus says, hold on. Don't you know that I've got to drink this cup? And I just think in this moment, I thirst. He's saying, I identify with this psalmist who said things like this. Who said, I'm poured out like water. My heart is turned to wax. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I'm laid down in the dust of death. 
Jesus says, I am thirsty, and this is our Lord, totally abandoned to the plans and purposes of God. We also need to remember that whenever thirst is talked about in Scripture, that it, it not whenever, but often when it's talked about in Scripture, it, it, it means, again, more than just physical thirst, but it means things like longing, you know, or, or, or um, desiring, or... Uh, yearning for. Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, has a kind of a famous uh, little portion of that famous sermon at the very beginning where he, he extends blessings or beatitudes, as we call them. And one of those particular beatitudes speaks of this kind of thirsting. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I think I have it here for us. No? Yeah? Okay, there it is. Blessed, read this with me, would you? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Go ahead and leave it up. Blessed, in other words, Jesus in this moment pronounces blessing on those who hunger and thirst, not physically at this point, but who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, for God's will, for God's way, for God, you know, for for the kingdom, for the, for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. For justice, for righteousness, for truth. Jesus is pronouncing this blessing on those who thirst for these very things. This is what, you know why Jesus is pronouncing blessing on people who do that? Because this is what Jesus values. This is what is important in the economy of, of Jesus. Blessed, Jesus says, is this sort of, this next phrase that I want you to hold on to, this sort of holy desperation. This sense of, this sense of, of, of God's leading and God's desire just to be, uh, for us and for him to be totally desperate and longing for his ways and for his will. This sense of, of holy desperation, this longing within for God's righteousness, again, for his justice and peace to fill the earth for the kingdom to come, for his will to be done. And there is no doubt that this is what Jesus longed for. There is no doubt that even as he hung on the cross and said, I thirst, that at some level he's saying, I thirst for this truth. I thirst for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I was a I was a kid, we didn't do a lot of hiking, and maybe that's why I'm not a huge hiker right now. I'm trying to get a little bit more into it, but if you hear this story, maybe you'll know why, because one of the hikes that my family went on that I vividly remember, and my sister might remember this as well, it was in the, kind of the, up near the Sawtooth Mountains in Idaho above Redfish Lake. If you don't know that area, it is, it is just beautiful. I mean, it is pristine. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just clear water and Thin air and just beautiful. I mean, the Sawtooth Mountain Range, this is an amazing thing. So we decided, our family and another family, maybe another family, I don't remember how many there were. I was probably in the eight, maybe year old range. And we decided to take this hike. And I don't remember a whole lot about the hike except for just it being very, very long. So long. And I just remember just looking at the person's 
behind part in front of me for that whole time. And they were you know, a little bit higher than me. And I remember it being very steep and, and dusty. And just in the actual trail and hike itself, you couldn't see the Sawtooth Mountains. You couldn't see Redfish Lake. So you were just kind of in there. And it was just so long. And I remember that we did have some water, but we, you know, we had to ration it out. And so I just remember being thirsty. And, but, but my greatest memory of this hike was getting to the top, getting to the end of the hike, and there being just these, these, these pools and these waterfalls. And I remember watching the adults, the big people, run over to the pools and get down on their knees and start drinking the water. And I didn't know how to do that. And I would just like, you know, try to slurp it. And I remember my dad actually teaching me, you know, they'll cup it here and you can drink it right out of your, your hand. I mean, isn't it interesting that I remember those details? But I, I remember this great thirst. And I remember this great moment of satisfying that, that thirst. I remember this, this, this desire, this, this longing even as a child, to, uh, to, to, to quench that thirst. I, I remember playing in this basketball game last year, this challenge ball that I'll be in next year, or next week. Um, I, I have to be honest with you, just a quick little thing. I, for those of you who came last year, I played about as good as I can play. <laughs> so I don't... Uh, anticipate that happening again. So some of you are like, man, you're really pretty good, Pastor James. Um, I, Jake will tell you, I'm pretty streaky, so if I don't make any shots, you can still cheer for me. But anyway, what I remember about it is this, that about um, two minutes into my time out there, it felt like I'd been out there for about ten minutes, and, and I was kind of running up and down the court, and I was like, I cannot, I cannot feel my tongue. It's gone. It's lost. I, and and this, this heightened level of competition had totally sucked every ounce of saliva out of my mouth. Uh, a beautiful picture, I know. But uh, again, this just, this just kind of awakens in us or helps us to think about this, this, this longing, this desire. I, I think even in the middle of the game, I was over there getting water, you know, like not a timeout or anything. I think someone was shooting a free throw. I'm like, hey, can you just give me a cup of water, man? Thanks. Um, this longing, this desire. And, and here we have, again, here we have Jesus again. And uh, um, this, this longing, I, I think about Jesus in the, in the temple as a kid. You know, ditched his mom and dad. They're like, Where are you? What are you doing? Then she knew I had to be about my father's business. Even as a kid, in the temple, thirsting for the ways and the will of God. Just like our kids are doing, bless you parents who are getting our kids here and even many of them here this morning, just, just learning and, and, and to long and, and discovering the will and the ways of God in the world. Um, I, I think of Jesus several years later, back in the temple, now with a, a whip in his hands, now overturning tables now making a statement against the religious bureaucracy of the day that had, that had cast aside those who were less uh, viable. Again, in that moment, 
thirsting for the will and the ways of God in the world. This was Jesus' heart. Think about him confronting Pharisees, and I think about him healing the sick, and I think about him preaching the good news, and I think about this holy desperation that Jesus had. C.S. Lewis said this. He said that the trouble with many of us is not that we are bad, but that we are too easily pleased. Ouch. Not bad, folks. We're just too easily pleased. We are too comfortable with the status quo. We're all right with things as they are. We're willing to bend and flex and... One author I read noted how we tend to see it as a mark of immaturity if someone is too eager or too single-minded about something in particular. And he said most of us long for balance, equilibrium, contentment. And some of you are like, yes, amen. And I kind of was too. And then he said, well, that was the way of the Buddha, but not of Jesus. Jesus says, I am thirsty giving his life with a holy desperation that God's will be done in this moment and for all time. One last thought about his thirst. Who knew that there could be so much? But one last thought about his thirst. Um, I like to think, and many uh, have taken this position throughout the centuries, really, that I like to think that in those moments where Jesus spoke very simply, I'm thirsty or I thirst, that, that his thoughts were not only to his physical thirst, that his thoughts were not only to the fulfillment of Scripture, of the psalmist, that his thoughts were not only to this sense of uh, longing for God's will and God's ways in the world, but that his thoughts were, were actually about me and actually about you and actually about every human person that he had come to the earth and was doing what he was doing for. I like to think that Jesus, even in these moments, was thirsting, was longing for us. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Isn't that an amazing thought that amidst his pain, amidst his suffering, amidst all these other levels of meaning, perhaps, that, that actually Jesus was thirsting for people to, to receive the gift that he was in that moment offering. I like to, I always I just remember this verse from John 12, I think it is, John 12, 32. Yeah, go ahead. He, he says this. It was there. But I, say it with me, but I, Jesus, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. The next verse talks about how he, speaking about how he would be killed. I'm lifted up from the earth. I'll draw all men under myself. This is my desire. This is my passion. This is what I long for. This is what I'm thirsting for. And actually, this kind of thirsting fits God's pattern very well. Some of you have been a part of our starting point series, our small group series, and you've been discovering, hopefully, about how God does something good. Humanity messes it up. God keeps longing for his people and re-enters into covenant relationship with them, and God's people mess it up. 
and so on and so forth, this drama of human and salvation history, and yet God keeps coming after us. Some words from Psalm 23 that, that uh, I read recently, and um, you might remember this verse, just very, um, you know, standard, typical, we know this, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, what I, I read and what I discovered is that the word there, the Hebrew word there for follow me all the days of my life can actually and actually is translated throughout the Old Testament as pursue. As in my enemies pursued me. But for some reason when we translate it in the English in this verse, we say that goodness and love will just follow me like they're tagging along after us somehow. But what if we were to think about that, that the goodness... And the love of God is relentlessly pursuing us. That Jesus in those moments was was whispering, I thirst with this intensity and this longing for his people. A relentless pursuit, I think is the phrase that I had there for you. He's He's not just tagging along. He's not just hoping for the best. Not just kind of doing this thing on the cross and, well, I hope it all works out. He came to this moment and continues even now pursuing his people. I think it was John Wesley who called him the Hound of Heaven. And uh, not a bad nickname. And so here's our invitation Our invitation today is to thirst for the one who thirsts for us. Very simply. Psalm 42 says it like this. Psalm 42, just as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? When can I go? You can go right now. This God who thirsts for us. Our invitation is to thirst for him, but not only to thirst for him, but to thirst, follow me, thirst for the things that he thirsts for. Our invitation is to thirst for this, this, this total abandonment in our own lives. Where is it today that you just need to let go? As Jesus was letting go, to thirst for the, this, this relinquishing, this total obedience, this commitment, this willingness to submit ourselves entirely to the plans and purposes of God for our lives. Our invitation is to to thirst for this holy desperation that in the lives that we lead, in the ways that we relate in the world, in our jobs and in our interactions and what we do with our money and what we do with our time, that we do it in such a way that we are demonstrating God's thirst for this justice, for this righteousness, for the ways of God being expressed in the world, that we thirst for those same things. That we, as well, as we live in the world that we live in, that we, that we develop this, this unquenchable thirst, really, that Jesus demonstrates here on the cross for, for all of creation for all of humanity, that we too have this, this, this relentless 
drive to pursue, to, to propose the gospel to the world in which we live. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't force the gospel onto anyone, but we propose it over and over and over and over. You know what propose means? Just simply, will you marry me? You know, I mean, that's a proposal. And you can do with it what she wants. It's pretty uh, risky. And that's what we do with the gospel. Just as Jesus, by this hanging on the cross, was proposing to the world. So we are to thirst in the same way. And so uh, may we just pray. May we just respond to God today by simply saying, our souls thirst for you, God. Our souls thirst for the one who thirsts for us. Our souls thirst for the things that you thirst for, God. And even in moments of communion, even in moments of coming before the table of the Lord, we, we pray that, that by our eating and our drinking, our hungering and our thirsting, that though we may or may not have this sense of satisfaction today, we, we know that you are feeding, you are nourishing. And as we drink may, and as we eat, may it just be a, a further symbol not only of, of our celebration of what you've done for us on the cross, Lord Jesus, but a symbol of our desire to keep hungering and thirsting for you. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for, for speaking some very, some very normal, ordinary words that become anything but to us and to our lives today. May we respond, enabled by your grace, led by your spirit in these moments. Thank you for the gift of the, this, this meal, this supper. Thank you for the reminders that we're to eat and drink um, with, with seriousness and with uh, reflection upon who you are and what you've done. And, and uh, thank you that, that you um, offer this, this meal to us and, and, and just as you did to your disciples as you gathered with them on that night before you died, that you, you, um, you offer it to us and you just simply say, remember me. As you eat and as you drink, remember me. We'll do so today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for remembering us.